0: FMCSA Chief Martinez gets an earful at the Mid-America Trucking Show. Driver retention drives the debate at the Truckload Carriers Association annual meeting. Vapor and Hangar announce a merger to create a drone technology infrastructure across the U.S., starting in Chicago. Amazon, Tesla, and other tech companies have a very bad week. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we'll be discussing these topics and more on this week's episode of What the truck?
1: What kind of beer are you drinking, JP? Well, you know,
0: I'm rolling with uh, Bell's Two Hearted out of Comstock, Michigan. Um, It's got notes of pine and grapefruit, but most importantly, it takes me back to grad school in good old Ann Arbor. You must like
1: going there a lot. Uh, Because you drink it every time. I have fond memories. Chad, what about you? Well, I'm drinking uh, Lagunitas Little Something Something Ale, which once upon a time would have been cool because they were one of the biggest independent breweries uh, in the United States.
0: But then once you started drinking it... then
1: they got taken over by Heineken. They gave in, they sold out, I'm sorry to say. But um, this particular one uh, is the the something, something. See, they have a little something, and that's only like 6.0 ABV. This one is a little something, something, and it is 7.5 ABV. Well,
0: I hope you can make it through this podcast (laughs) because you're on your second.
1: And now it's time for story time. Last time at the beginning of our segment, we played Did You Know? We'll always try to have a fun little game at the beginning. And today's is story time. JP, take it away.
0: So I have two stories for us this week from kind of the remote fringes of the trucking world. The wow. first one comes actually from a Reddit thread on our truckers that um One of our marketing people set up, he was asking about what are the worst load unload experiences you've had at a shipper. And the biggest time that we, the longest time that we saw for an unload, one and a half weeks. (laughs) One and a half weeks. (laughs) One and a half weeks to unload a truck. Um, And uh, let me explain this was a truck uh, in remote Alaska. About 500 kilometers from the nearest town, with a 90,000-pound load of bags of concrete and other like random like parts.
1: That's a lot of concrete.
0: Yeah, well, it gets worse. Um, So this truck arrives at the pickup point, and there's a helicopter there, and the helicopter is going to take the concrete to this. Mining exploration camp that's even further north, even further out of the way. Obviously, no road access. And so, how do they get the concrete off the truck into the helicopter by hand?
1: They and need autonomous help for that.
0: It wouldn't have really mattered because the they <laughs> could only load about four thousand pounds at a time. The round trip was like five hours. Um, wow! In the helicopter, and so the the trucker kind of ended his comment by saying, "Yeah." We were there for a while <laughs> that's a good story the other story i heard with in the office um this afternoon was really cool too it was uh from dean croak um Freight waves chief analytics officer who's actually australian and spent a lot of time doing long haul over the road trucking in australia right. going across the entire outback which a lot of it's you know it's dirt roads it's it's, it's, it's crazy um the stories he he was telling our data guys were blowing their minds, but one of the funny things that he was talking about was, you know, basically driving what they call road trains, which are these yeah. three big linked trailers all connected to the same tractor. Wow. Um on hundred ninety thousand pound weight limits,
1: which you can't do in the U.S.
0: Can't do in the U.S. Uh, it's it's. To, totally different. I mean, he was talking about having like these sort of hyper aggressive water Buffalo on the upper deck of a livestock here. They're fighting and the, 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 <laughs> the, the trailer is like swaying from side to side. But anyway, I thought what was really cool is that, um, this is a very, this is a very Strya Australia, Australian kind of, uh, stereotypical story, but nice try it, with the accent there. appreciate it. He, uh, it takes four days to drive from Sydney to Darwin, in the, of um, the upper north region, you know the the, the the northern coast of Australia. Four days across the outback. And what you do as a truck, as an Australian truck driver, is you load your truck up with two weeks worth of beer and food, in case you break down on the way. It <laughs> could take that long for someone to come find you. Um, and every truck also is outfitted with its own grill. Wow. So, so you can have. I like a, the way they roll. So you get the right shrimp on the barbie, um every night. And what he would, do, what they would do is, the, every night they would pull the fun. He said the fun part about that job was, at, at night on the outback, you would pull over someplace in the middle of nowhere with all the other truck drivers. Start you know, grilling steaks and shrimp and you know having a nice food. Nice. Through, throw, have a big bonfire. Everybody starts pounding beers, gets drunk. And then what do you do? You're in Australia. You find a kangaroo to fight. Yes. Yes. That is what That is what I was going to that say. That is what Dean Kirk said. He said they would get drunk and fight kangaroos in the middle of the night. And then the next day, continue driving their trucks. That is story time for this week. Why don't we <laughs> go ahead and dive into our first story? Um, our editor, John Kingston, was at the Mid-America Trucking Show this week. And he was actually able to buttonhole the FMCSA chief, the new FMCSA chief, Ray Martinez, after um, his little presentation and it was able to kind of get an exclusive interview that had a, actually did pretty well in terms of traffic on the site. Um, Chad, can you just kind of introduce the story?
1: Yeah, well, um, as I understand it, uh, Ray Martinez has been on what he called um, an aggressive listening tour. Uh, where he is um, being uh, aggressively um, talked to by uh, truckers upset with the, you know, forthcoming ELD, like, mandate, the, the hard line of the April 1st, you better comply date. Um, and uh, he's, you know, like, his aggressive listening has led him to saying, you know what, it's happening. The ELDs, like, there's not going to be a lot of exemptions here except for, like, livestock and some that are absolutely necessary. But uh, one of the major complaints that we've actually been hearing for months anyway is the HOS, hours of service, they're inflexible. They don't really seem to be about safety. And, uh, And so he's, you know, been saying maybe we can do something about it.
0: Right, and so we're talking about you know the fourteen hours on duty, eleven hours driving, the fact that you can't you know stop and sleep um, without, and also stop your your clock. And so right, right, and so you know even though the government said that the ELD mandate was all about promoting driver safety, it's actually in many cases forcing drivers to drive when they're tired. Right, and why does it do that? Yeah, so here's an example. Say you have three hours of service left um, for the day, and you're about two hours away from your destination. But the problem is you're exhausted, you're sleepy, you're very tired. Um, Under the current rules, you can't take a two-hour nap and then drive to your destination because that would take four hours, and you only have three hours of service left. So the the 2 hour nap would come off of your hours of service. You know, it kind of kind of defeats the purpose in a lot of ways. Yeah. There are also studies that show that um you know, after drivers have been unreasonably detained or detained for a long amount of time at a shipper yes. getting a load, they tend to drive faster in speed as they start their day.
1: Yeah, wouldn't you? I mean, I would. Yeah, cuz they're know?
0: stressed out, they they're accountable to this system of rules even though they're not really completely in control of their schedule so the shippers aren't accountable to the hos but they're actually in control of you know the productivity of these trucks and so it's really frustrating it's stressful it causes uh you know some poor driving decisions it causes um
1: you might have to speed um you uh, you can't if you can't find parking of course detention is a big issue with
0: Um, Yeah, and so what's interesting, though, is that the FMCA is already – we know that they're already looking into what they call a split sleeper schedule. They have a pilot program running with, I think, something like 55 drivers, 70 drivers, something like that, um, where they are letting the drivers break up their sleep, like, in four-hour chunks instead of just, you know, all at once. And what they're and they're hooking them up to you know electrodes and the whole deal. Wow! Just to see, like physiologically, can a driver get the rest he needs or he or right. she needs? You know, can uh, do the brain waves match like in terms of like the deep sleep REM cycles? I like, think
1: you need at least four at a time. Yeah,
0: yeah, and we actually, you know, Frey Waves' chief analytics officer, Dean Croak is actually really good on sleep and has done a number of, you know, telematics-based. Yeah, we've got a lot of data on that. On the side, so look to Frey Waves for, you know, further coverage of driver sleep and and how and the physiology of it and how um, carriers can match biological rhythms to shipping schedules and driving schedules, you know, so they can maintain productivity and safety at the same time.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, and so the hours of service. So what did, on his aggressive listening tour, what did uh, Martinez uh, conclude? Well, one of the things um, he pointed out is that hours of service is a regulatory requirement and doesn't necessarily, therefore, need congressional intervention uh, to be changed. However, Congress could change the hours of service rule as well. But the bad news, just I mean, as soon if he, as we get some good news on that. If
0: he's trying to pass the buck to Congress, I mean, he's basically saying that. He's, <laughs> I mean, that's the, 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 yeah. this is the most dysfunctional right, arm of the right. government.
1: Um, he, he even said, if Congress gets involved, and I don't know if that ever happens, but if it does, don't be surprised if it doesn't work out the way you want. He said, the other path to change is we might be able to get some flexibility, but if we go the regulation route, that will probably take two years. So if I'm a driver and I don't like these hours of service rules, and I'm basically being told that the only way to change this new rule that's just now coming into like be enforced compliance is to go through Congress or wait two or three years, it just doesn't seem like it takes a rocket scientist to be able to give flexibility to to this ELD mandate. Yeah,
0: unfortunately, the only people that really have pull with the FMCSA are going to be, you know, special interest groups that have, you know, expensive lobbyists, the very largest carriers, specific industries like agriculture, things like that. Like, you have to like to to get any kind of movement on these regulations, you have to have people in Washington who know their counterparts in the FMCSA, who are taking them out to dinner, who are you know in their ear, working with them very closely. Like it's not just, you know, oh, we write a petition and therefore we get the hours of service change. Unfortunately, this is the country we live in.
1: Right. So anyway, stay tuned, and we will bring you any updates on it. Hopefully it will be a faster-moving story than is currently meeting the eye. Um, Another one of our editorial staff was at the uh, TCA conference, um, the uh, Truckload Carriers Association, and we. uh, what do you think that the story of the like, of the whole thing, the main story was? If you had to even guess.
0: Um, I would say the driver shortage and driver retention.
1: Yeah, well, you already know, so I guess you're not having to guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, so what,
1: you it, know. It continues to dominate the topics.
0: Right, so there's the driver shortage, meaning that carriers are having a hard time filling empty trucks, but there's also a driver retention issue right? So for there's, sure. too much on for there's too much turnover. Um, there's huge expense associated with replacing a driver, training a new one, onboarding them, you know, up to, you know, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard for large carriers, this is like $8,000 a driver. Um, and so if you have a 100% turnover rate, you know, you're paying that every yeah, yeah so it's it's year for every truck you have
1: they they spend a lot of money in bonuses and training and, and training drivers only to like have them you know like fulfill the the very bare minimum of requirements in order to get their bonus and then they're Audi, right <clears throat> not driving an Audi, but like getting out of town uh because why cuz driving's tough right Driving
0: Driving's tough, and for too long, the big carriers have really just treated drivers like commodities. It, it's a numbers game to them. You know they're hiring people yep. that aren't necessarily suited to the job. Um, and anyway, so tell me about some uh, what was the conversation? around driver retention like at TCA this year? Well,
1: I mean, there' you know, some they were pointing out like that basically everybody is responsible for trying to change the culture. That was a term that was apparently used a lot. how do you how do you build a culture when there isn't one? Uh, uh, compensation naturally was at the top of the list of truckers. Uh, of what they wanted. And I, I think that, you know, rates are rising and they probably are uh, going to be paid more. Um, it's a supply and demand issue. Um, this is something we've frequently covered on freight FreightWaves. Um, but there were also non-financial reasons cited as well. You know, um, lack of communication, which hopefully will be getting better in this digital uh, world that we are, we're living in. Mm-hmm. Um, off, often too, they feel like they have a poor relationship with managers. That was named um, if I'm remembering, uh, I think a lack of uh, home time, which would, I don't know how you're going to change that. Uh, well, no, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, you you can.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And, oh. Um, like well, I, I spoke to the uh, president of logistics for a you know small uh, 225 trucking fleet um, earlier this week, uh, Alabama Motor Express. Uh, it's, it's run by the White family, so cool. I spoke to Collins White, the second generation executive for that company. And he kind of had a multi-pronged approach um, to driver attention. And he was saying, first of all, we're paying them more. Yeah. We, he said he doesn't okay. believe in sign-on bonuses because he, right. like you said, he thinks that it kind of uh, contributes to, you know, you hire sort of disloyal people in a way. But he raises the per mile rate by seven cents in the past, like, three years. Um, okay. He is, the, the whole fleet themselves are transitioning from over the road to a regional fleet so that to regional lanes so that their drivers can get home more. Yeah. And, um, they've implemented the job behaviors assessment, which I wrote about this week. Um, to basically try to identify out of their applicants, who are the people that have the core values, behaviors and attributes of top performing drivers? Who are the people most, Likely, based on the psychological profile to do well at truck driving. Um, They try to only hire those people. Now, it's slowed down.
1: Yeah, that does seem like that would help with driver retention. It's slowed down their
0: hiring a little bit. Yeah. But out of the people that they've hired using that program, they haven't lost any of them. And that was
1: one of the topics of conversation. Sorry to interrupt. um, It was that um, driver incentive uh, programs uh, aiming toward more retention have costs. And sometimes there are actually like, you know, disincentives as well, which we don't need to get into. Um, but you know, just also the idea of general, there, there is no one size fits all. Um, and you know, there is the, um, you need to, you need a
0: holistic approach. You need to do everything possible. You need to, maybe not
1: one size fits all, but maybe a holistic approach. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to look at, you know, your equipment, you know what? How comfortable is the you know the sleeper cab? Like like what amenities yeah. are you providing? What what you know?
1: Yeah, and just generally, I think just like just people are you know like drivers are humans. Like treat them with the like treat them with some courtesy and respect, um, and that that's another thing that they were they were asking about, and and uh and I think some of those like. We're gonna maybe we'll touch on it, but uh, detention like when you get arrive at your place and you're ready to unload and you have to wait a long time, like that's aggravating for, for everybody involved. And I think um, detention needs like shippers and you know, receivers, yeah. I
0: think, yeah, carriers need to make sure that you know their drivers are getting paid if they're delayed, like right. Like, I don't know whether the answer is something like blockchain some other kind of sort of digital contract that automates that, but it's so, it's frustrating. It's a huge industry inefficiency and pain point to have to fight for your detention pay after the fact when you've already left and the people that you hate, you know, the shipper that's, that's screwing you over is holding your money. And then you're trying to get it from them as you're driving away. I mean, that's, that yeah. doesn't work.
1: Yeah. So it seems like there's some movement in that direction. <clears throat> what is another story that we're covering today?
0: Um, so one of the really interesting stories, uh, actually, that you wrote today, was the um, but the, and the merger of these two tech companies. Sort of cloud. That's right. Cloud-based computing. Um Data analytics companies Vapor and Hangar that are trying to create a drone technology infrastructure, um, basically mostly in Chicago, and they're they're
1: building well, these no, all like, over all over the nation. They're beginning it. The, they're beginning their their first one is a rollout in this this quarter uh, in Chicago.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they're kind of like implant. It seemed to me like they were almost the way you would build out like cell tower technology or something yeah. like that. It's almost like they're it's, building out these micro stations kind of around the loop and you know if you're familiar with you know the layout of chicago that's right they are they're like micro um,
1: data centers
0: yeah that communicate with these drones
1: like it's,
0: get into that a little bit. Uh,
1: um well so there it's Vapor and Hanger. Yeah, and they um they they took the um the opportunity of this week as they were announcing the merger, uh they took the opportunity of, you know, all the stuff that's happened with autonomous self-driving cars and the bad headlines that they've got this week and they and they basically said um, you know, we you know what's going to come first? Is some infrastructure before um, these individual like self-driving cars um, are going to hit the road? And this is they—they they said we don't need to build roads, we don't need to install traffic lights, we don't need traffic signs. We need infrastructure for software, data, and communications. And the drone infrastructure they're building will program drone flights right and provide real time data feeds for traffic management decisions emergency responses all kinds of capabilities
0: right so one of the you know the limitations of you know drones and using drones is basically yeah. if you've ever flown one before it's, it's line of sight essentially so yes. you, you've got you've got the controls in your hand you're looking at the drone if you go over the ridge or you know dip behind a building you lose the connection, drone crashes. So there has to be a way for um, companies who want to, you know, for example, with commercial package delivery by drones. like You have to have a network of towers that can communicate, uh, solve problems, map the environment, place throughout a city's um, landscape. So that drone can always maintain a line of sight.
1: Yeah, um, and this is an interesting part about the story. I thought is that their 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 argument is that drone technology will advance more quickly than autonomous, uh, according uh, to to their uh, CIO uh, Matt Trefiro. Um, and, and and this is why there are fewer life safety issues. It's also a lot less complicated to navigate in coordinated airspace than to drive on a road that has all kinds of obstacles, road signs, rules, and so on, um, in- including as we've you know recently reported on unpredictable humans.
0: Right. It's, it's less complicated now. I wonder what it's going to mm. look like if you know drones become a huge thing and the air is buzzing with drones. But but we're not there
1: Apparently, that is part of the very way that they would be programmed, which is kind of amazing to think about. They wouldn't even... It's like they're programmed to fly in these very coordinated... You know specific ways. It's kind of fascinating. And one of the arguments against, um, you know, self-driving cars, which I think is a very legitimate um, point, is that the cost and size and complexity and power consumption that that each and every little self-driving car, which is basically its own little supercomputer, would have, um, keeps it from being very scalable. It's one thing to have all these test cars that we have, but to like truly produce these things. You know, as we're seeing, I have to admit, Tesla's having, you know, issues with. Same, you know. And Uber. And, yeah. and, and, and Uber. Yeah, that's a different different maybe reason why they're having trouble. Uh, I don't know. Um, so it's a fascinating story. Yeah, it's, Something it's, to it's,
0: keep. it's kind of crazy that, like, you know, basically you can be a 14-year-old a human and drive a car. And, you know, I, I don't know. When I was in India... I, I went from Manali um, to Leh on this crazy mountain road in this in Jeep driven by like a 15-year-old Nepalese kid. Yeah. And he did amazing. You know, there was no guardrails. We were looking over the edge of mounds. It was insane. It was like, I can't believe he's doing it. Like, And now we're spending, in the U.S., we're spending like t- hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to get the most advanced technology to replicate something that's actually quite easy for humans to do. Yeah. It's kind of, it, it, it's, 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 it, 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 it it we're in a topsy-turvy kind of world in some
1: ways. Yeah. They'll look, they'll look back on, they'll look back at 100 years of what we've been through and it'll just be like, you know, it'll, like the Model T, you know, looks, looks to us now. Right. Um, well, that is a fascinating story, something to keep up with. Uh, also, today, you know, Trump enters the headlines again with what now?
0: Yeah, so Trump um, really wants to regulate Amazon. We've known that he's had it in for Jeff Bezos. Uh, I think part of this, you know, might also come from the fact that Bezos owns the Washington Post, right? Which, since his ownership has taken a much more, you know, liberal slant, it's been critical of Trump. It adopted the motto "Democracy dies in darkness." Uh, so <laughs>
1: I think he was even after them before before that. Yeah,
0: he was. He was. But um,
1: so what is so what is Trump specifically? How is it, how is it? What's his strategy? Is, is there a policy in place now? So like, there's
0: not a policy in place now. Um, but basically, the from what I can gather from his tweets, there are two main complaints about Amazon. One, the first one is that they are you know, ripping off the U.S. Post Service, the U.S. Postal Service, by yeah. by paying less than market rates for their rural and suburban deliveries. So essentially the idea is that um, Amazon you know, is building out its last mile delivery systems that are really going to, and, and, and getting network density in urban areas um, that it can kind of take over and manage from fulfillment center all the way to your doorstep. But... For suburban and rural, uh, you know, routes that are very much less dense are not as lucrative. Amazon is basically leaning on the USPS really hard, and yeah, and, the- and supposedly you know uh, the postal service is like losing like two dollars for every. Uh, package Amazon package they delivered
1: I don't know all the ins and outs of uh, of how the deal was constructed some uh, argue that uh, basically Amazon it, it floats the USPS without Amazon that um, they they wouldn't have enough business um, to you know to even be operating at all of course they, they actually don't right now others uh, argue that the deal that they made could have been a lot better for USPS. And, you know, a troubling statistic for for USPS is that since 2007, they have accrued more than 63 billion, that's billion with a B, as people always like to say, uh, in cumulative net losses. So we're talking about, you know, that, that, that averages out to, you know, around 6 billion a year that they are losing. Um, so, so they it co-
0: so essentially so it, that's it, one part of the so difference. essentially you're just saying that it costs six billion dollars a year to have a postal system right and they which even, isn't which is no, e- nothing compared to you know say building an aircraft carrier which is like thirteen billion
1: <laughs> that's a good point um, so you're saying we should keep the mail
0: I'm saying that um, there's been a lot of shenanigans with the way that the uh, US postal service uh finances are calculated that they're actually you know yeah they mostly pay yeah. for themselves and if it costs a little bit i mean it's it's just still the way that it. the
1: statistics are being used like mark twain said there's statistics and then there's damn statistics
0: yeah yeah, I, I'm, like that. I'm skeptical of any one saying that the U, that the U.S. Postal Service is in financial trouble.
1: Well, what about this? This is the other thing that th- this is another approach that um, not only Trump could uh, strategically go after Amazon, but also actually literally the Supreme Court is listening to arguments this year um, on this topic, and that is whether or not states can collect sales tax. From an online vendor. So this obviously...
0: They already do. So.
1: No, they, ha- and let, they they have to have a physical presence in that state. If they don't have the physical presence, you can't collect the sales tax. And, Interesting. And that is a yeah. 1992 Supreme Court finding when, when they use the terminology of mail, mail order catalog companies. So right. So people are arguing it's a different day and age. And the thing is, is that most
0: of these um, e-commerce merchants, the big ones, have physical presences in, I mean, like, for example, if, if the intention is to go after Amazon, Amazon has a physical presence in nearly every U.S. I mean, I don't know about like Rhode Island, but like, you know, for example, where we are in Tennessee, there are multiple fulfillment centers across the state. So, I mean, it's not, you know, they're already paying sales though. I, so I don't, yeah I don't, we don't know what don't, the implications are I don't, I don't are. quite understand the angle you know what if Trump decided to impose some kind of universal digital sales tax um, just you know because you okay said- well here's a
1: bottom line question like we don't know what it, how it affects the supply chain yet we wouldn't know the implications of all that but like I mean here this is an interesting question like don't you think doesn't it seem like Amazon is kind of dominating kind of monopolizing like like just it's it's taking it over everything. I just like, think it's kind of ironic.
0: Do you just that like it as
1: a consumer?
0: I, I do like it as a consumer. They have a great product. Uh, you know, I'm mostly actually, I'm like an old school Amazon customer. So I mostly buy books on Amazon and I love the fact that. And they're
1: destroying the publishing industry. Okay. We're, we're, we're we don't need but, to digress on that, but,
0: but you know, I think it's ironic that like 20 years ago, congress didn't do anything when walmart was destroying all of the mom and pop stores yeah um by importing chinese plastic and selling it for much cheaper than you know american produced uh goods in these small general stores now all of a sudden we have to defend walmart from amazon it's like no like, like, I don't actually care if Amazon defeats Walmart.
1: This is overall. I feel like Trump has a vested interest here. He owns real estate, and a lot of his own companies and businesses would stand to gain to hurt Amazon. Um, I believe in a free market and I, I an open market, and and I, I want I, while I do think that there's some you know so there are some aspects to Amazon that are dangerous. Um, I, I think that, you know, other people need to figure out, like, how to compete with them.
0: Yeah, ultimately, I don't think the government should be in the business of picking winners and losers. Um,
1: Indeed. Yeah. So right. those are the top stories of the week. Now we're going to play Big Deal or Little Deal, in which Chad and JP run down the rest of the stories of the week in two minutes or under. Do we get a reward if we, like, do it in a minute and a half? No rewards, says our no. producer, no. Barry. Barry, you're looking good over there. Thanks, Barry. Like, Thanks for uh, nothing. You got the wheat jeans on, looking very granola, very Chatta- chattanola.
0: So we love talking shit to Barry because he can't actually talk back. He's <laughs> a producer. Um, okay. We love you, Barry. Let's get this started. Turndowns outbound from Philadelphia are skyrocketing. Big deal or little deal?
1: Big deal. Although you could say this was weather related, um, you know, it, 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 it's a backhaul market, sure. But, um, and the area has been hit by a record four nor'easters in a single season. I'm seeing the rising rates as, as sticking. I don't see this as, uh, as, as going away anytime soon and rates might rise nationally as well.
0: Regional manufacturing readings are retreating from highs as recent tariffs begin to bite. Big deal or little deal?
1: Little deal. Surprisingly enough, I mean, the tariff commentary within within this report is is informative, but it even might be overstated. We really don't know what's happening. The um, the regional surveys like are could be you know could be threatening to the industry, but there's a lot of uncertainty, and we just don't know how the policy is going forward.
0: Convoy announces automatic detention pay as it expands nationwide. Big deal or little deal
1: i'm gonna say big deal even though it's just you know basically an eld with the fancy button that says you know uh drivers will get paid for uh for det- for detention time hopefully this can help drivers the very thing we've been talking about which is to get paid better and have better retention by paying them for their detention the south heats up but atlanta is on fire big deal or little deal
0: Big deal. Um, We've been seeing uh, turndown activity spike in a number of cities, Um, and Atlanta's leading the way with about 25% turndowns. This signifies um, a strong March uptick for the region and a strong 2018 for
1: freight. Wheat exports, railroad traffic vulnerable to tariffs, big deal or little deal?
0: Unfortunately, little deal. American wheat production is in secular decline because of of bottom-of-the-barrel international prices, We're not helping ourselves by pulling out of TPP and, you know, railroad grain volumes continue to fall.
1: But I do like Barry's Wheat Jeans. The job behaviors assessment may have solved driver retention, big deal or little deal.
0: Huge deal. Predictive hiring is the hashtag future of freight.
1: And that'll do it for the big stories this week. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, freightwaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What The Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast.
0: And if you're into learning about technology that's shaping up the industry, you definitely want to be at Transparency 18 in Atlanta this May. Visit transparency18.com to learn more about the event.
1: That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.